everybody, to another episode of the podcast to be named later. I'm Noah Hiles. He is... Alex Stumpf. And Alex, we had a day off yesterday. Yeah. Look that, at that us. Yeah, I know. I know. It's just weird. I mean, doing the daily podcast grind, it's nice to get a message from your boss saying, hey, tomorrow's Labor Day. You know, don't worry about it. And we're like, well, we worry about everything. We're on the pirate's beat. So I don't know what that means. It is nothing sure. if not a constant state of anxiety. Yes. No, but um, it was nice to have the day off. Uh, even though we're recording this on our day off, I, I just rolled out of bed and we just said, hey, let's record that. You got any big Labor Day plans? I'm going to hang out with a couple friends. Nice. Uh, finish up this mound visit. Okay. Which, which I like, you know, just relax. I'm going to relax. I'm betting a lot of money on Navy minus one and a half against BYU. Uh, I'm hanging oh, out with some no. friends as well, but uh, I still have to like edit stuff. So, you know, but it's still a chill day. I'm excited. I'm excited to, you know, get a little downtime uh, before the pirates get back in action on Tuesday, which is when you're listening to this. But Alex, I wanted to talk to you to open up the show about something. One of our coworkers, the guy whose name's on the paychecks, Dan, uh, what he wrote on Sunday night is a, a column um, pretty much calling out a lot of members on the pirates. And I found it very interesting as I do with most of his work. Um, man, I'm really kissing his ass on this early Tuesday morning, aren't I? But <laughs> no, you have the all, job, man. You have the job. I know exactly. <laughs> but no, in all honesty, I, I really enjoyed it. And I thought it was, um, it hit the nail on the head in a lot of aspects. And I wanted to talk to you about two aspects of the team that have taken advantage of opportunities. And that's what he talked about in the column. That's what they talked about on Final Word on WPXI as well. Um, and I think the two aspects of the team that have taken advantage of opportunities are A, bench players, and B, or bench players from a year ago, I should say, and B, young bullpen guys. Those are the only two bright spots for this team. And if you start with the bench guys, Colin Moran came into this year not knowing that he was going to have a starting job. Eric Gonzalez came into this year not knowing he was going to have a starting job. Jacob Stallings came into this year knowing he was going to be a starter, but no one was high on Jacob Stallings. I mean, some people were high on his defense, but no one expected this Jacob Stallings to show up. And Kevrian Hayes came into this year trying to get into the major leagues. And those have been probably, I know Hayes is, kind of wild to throw in there with the other three who have played the whole season. Hayes has played like what, five games, but they've been the most competent players on the team. Those I could throw, I could throw more names into that mix too. Like think of Philip Evans, what yes. he's been, what he's been able to do um, in an incredibly small sample. I, I really like what Anthony Alford showed and it's a shame that his season ended, mm -hmm. but it ended with him trying his absolute best to make a play that most people couldn't have even you know gotten the same stratosphere up the fact that he made that semi-competitive just showed ex how exactly competitive this competitive this guy is and how hard he was hustling there so there there have been some cases like that I mean forget about you know being a starter Eric Gonzalez didn't have a spot on this team guaranteed yeah. you know quite frankly Colin Moran only had a spot guaranteed theoretically until like mid-April or even June before, you know, Cabrian was going to be ready to go up. So, yeah, there have been some guys on this team that have been presented opportunities, and they have made the most of those opportunities. Like, right now, it is amazing to see, you know, how quickly 
people have done a hard 180 on Eric Gonzalez. Yeah. He's, you know, the, he's who, the future of the franchise now, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, we're not going to go that far, but he, I know. he's basically shown everything that, you know, that Neil Huntington said that he could do. You know, here's a guy who's respectable with the bat. He'll give you really good defense. He can play a multiple, multitude of positions if necessary. It's a good guy to have on your team. And, and you know what? Here's a guy who had to really had to prove that, hey, I do belong on this team. And he's played himself into the everyday lineup. Yeah, I mean, he's their leader in pretty much virtually every offensive category, statistics-wise, yeah. for those who qualify uh, with a number of at-bats. But, and, it's, and it's good to see that someone is. In a year where so many people have underperformed, there are some people that's stepping up. And I wonder if that is a coincidence. Charrington talked about that, how guys who were pushed came up and performed, whereas you have guys like Josh Bell and Reynolds and Adam Frazier uh, – and Newman, who had sp- – it was pretty much a guarantee that they were going to be, you know, top five hitters in the order, that they were going to – you know, that they were going to be the, the star, quote-unquote, players of, these te- of, the, of this team, and they haven't done anything. And I don't know what the solution is there because you, you can't – I mean, you can bench them, but what is that going to solve? Because it's not going to help them get out of their slump. And it's, you know, is this team better with – whoever else like Osuna playing first ahead of Josh Bell or no. yeah or JT Riddle getting no. more reps exactly I, I don't know what the answer is there um <clears throat> quite frankly I think they'd be better off just going to Josh Bell sitting him down and saying you know how much money you've lost yourself this year to Adam Frazier I, you know I don't much- know what good that does for Josh <clears throat> Bell though yeah like, I don't Josh yeah, I don't isn't know. the type of guy who's, you know, resting on his laurels. Here's a guy who is quite legitimately struggling, and he's putting in work. He's putting in yeah, work, and it's just right. not translating. Like, Dan's article or column really called out, you know, a lot of people, named some names there. Like, I, I get the Gregory Polanco thing because in those three, sing, three at-bats there, he was giving, you know, the whole left side of the infield if he just pokes a ball through there. And we have seen people like Colin Moran and Josh Bell and, you know, other people try to shoot a ball, you know, beat that shift. And he's a lot faster than both of them. Yeah. And you know what? Going into that ninth inning, I told Dan as I was writing, like, if they lose by one run, you could point to that as maybe the moment that they lost this game. Eric Gonzalez and Cole Tucker bailed him out, but. <laughs> yeah. Look at that. Look at that. Cole's another guy who I think has made the most out. I mean, considering, uh, A, he had a position change two days before the season started, um, I think he's made the most of the situation that he's been in as well. Um, And I still don't know if he's going to be an outfielder next year. I really don't. I would not be surprised if he starts at shortstop long-term for the Pirates. But, hey. Um, But, yeah, it's it's nice to see some guys taking advantage of of opportunities. And I think when you're in a situation like the Pirates, where you're coming back in 2021, it's really an even playing field. There's no – there is no one who's guaranteed anything because you can't guarantee Eric Gonzalez or or Moran a spot in the lineup on the team simply after having a good 60-game season. But at the same time, you can't guarantee Bell or Reynolds anything either because – they sucked this year. So it's kind of it's, – it's like the movie Major League where a whole bunch of random guys just show up and you got to build a ball club. But I'll tell you what, to pivot here, some guys that I think 
have earned a guaranteed role on next year's team are these young guys coming out of the bullpen. They, they have set themselves apart far enough where this isn't just getting hot at the right time. There are some studs with the stuff they have, with the, with the situations that they've come in and, and performed well in. It's been a big enough sample size for me to say, okay, Sam Howard is good at baseball. Jeff Hartley is good at baseball. Chris Howard – or Chris – Chris Howard. Chris uh, Stratton was a good acquisition, as was Nick Turley. These are, these are guys that I'm excited for. Yeah, I mean, could you imagine, you know, coming into those year, coming into this year, if those four were like more or less the middle and back end relief to your team? Yeah. Like Jeff Hartley, especially. My goodness, what a step he's taking this year. Like last year, you saw the stuff. And he was a very, very raw pitcher. Mm-hmm. And I think he's probably been Oscar Marine's best project so far this season. Being able to show off like, hey, you know what? You don't need that four-seamer. We're going to rely on the sinker. We're going to rely on the slider. We're going to really make these pitches play well off of one another. Here's a, he went from a guy with a bunch of raw stuff that I don't think Ray Serge knew what to do with. And I'm not going to throw, you know, Jeff Hart. I'm not going to say mean ERA. things about Ray Searage, even though I'm about to say mean things about Ray Searage. I'm not going to throw all of that, you know, 90 ERA onto Ray Searage's doorstep, ring the doorbell and run away. But it's I'm about gonna, seven of it. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, kind of about <laughs> seven of it. <laughs> because here's a guy who was raw, very raw, and he had no idea what to do. I think Oscar Marina's has done a great job in being like, hey, Let's use your stuff. Let's pitch to your strengths. Sam Howard, here's the guy who's throwing like 70% sliders. And he's like, oh, you have a great slider. Why do you need to use the fastball to set up the slider? Just have the slider set up the slider. Let's yeah. go. It's like there's better mentalities there. And there are people in the bullpen who are hearing these ideas that are pretty radical. And they're like, okay, let's try it. That's a big part of, you know, seizing opportunities in this situation. You know, a guy who's like, I know I didn't have a good year last year. I know this needs to be a good year for me this year. If you have an idea, I'm all ears. That is something that's very encouraging that I see with these younger players. I don't know how many of the veterans are getting the same message. So Hartlieb, I think, is a clear case of he came up too early. He was forced to come up oh, early yeah. because of injuries last year. He simply was not ready. And we didn't, we saw a pitcher who did not belong in the big leagues yet. And that did not mean that he was not a big league player because he clearly is now. And that's just the example of, you know, a guy taking his lumps and learning from it. And there's nothing wrong with that, especially when you're on a team that stunk like the pirates last year, they stunk and you go up there you get your ass handed to you for a couple of months. You go into the offseason thinking, here were some positive moments. I need to try to replicate this. Here's a new coach who can help me grow. And that's what you've seen with Jeff Hartlieb. And I think that Jeff Hartlieb can be a case study for a whole bunch of other young pitchers, starters, and bullpen guys to try to replicate as we move forward, saying, look, he came up here and it didn't click immediately. This, this wasn't, you know, one of those – you know, star prospects that comes up and takes the world by storm and never had any, you know, struggles early on. This is a guy who, I mean, he was a whipping boy. Everyone, when we, when last year, when, when people were calling out the team, you know, saying, who the hell are these guys on the mound? Jeff Hartley was, a, was one of the punching bags that we love to go after. But now, I mean, the guy, when I hear Frick Park Market come on in the ballpark, 
I get excited for multiple reasons. One, I love that song. Uh, and two, I, I know that he's going to come in with runners on base and get outs. That's what he's done. He's inherited 18 runners, maybe more. I don't know if he inherited any on Sunday. I don't think he did. He, came he didn't, get, no. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he's inherited 18 runners and, and stranded 16 of them. I think he has an ERA under two now. I think it's like 1.34 or something like that, maybe even lower. He's a beast. And like you said, it's it's because of the changes from Oscar. I think Sam Howard, on top of what Oscar's done, Sam Howard's a reflection of what a valuable asset Joel Hanrahan is to this organization. Yes. Uh, yes. For what Joel Hanrahan and him did, and Oscar's been open about saying that in the media availabilities, he said, ask Joel. I think he literally said that to one of your questions you asked him. Like, what what is Sam Howard doing that's different or something? He goes, talk to Joel, because he's the one who got him going. And uh, – as, as a hammer, Hanrahan stan, I had a shirt that said Hammer Time <laughs> in 2011. I mean, that was my guy. Uh, one of those shirts you buy on the Clemente Bridge from, from someone, you know, who probably just stole them off the back of a truck or something. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. Five bucks I, well spent. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. Howard is a good example of Hanrahan. Stratton and Turley, I don't have – I mean, Stratton's a guy that – I'm not surprised by this. I didn't think no. Stratton – was going to be a bad pickup when we got him. I, I thought that he, I thought that he was someone that wasn't a starter. That if you could limit him to just throwing two pitches, he could be a three and a half ERA guy, a long reliever, someone that could go two innings. And that's what he's been. He's been better than three and a half ERA. But I think over a long sample size, that's what you're going to get. And that's that's not a bad arm to have, even if he does have like a three and a half ERA. Same for Turley. And if you look at these four, Howard, Turley, Stratton, Hartley, which is again, crazy considering what we thought of these people two months ago. But you look at these four and then you consider Edward Santana coming back next year. You have maybe Richard Rodriguez, maybe they flip him in the off season. And then you add Blake Cedarlin into this mix. That's seven of your eight bullpen guys right there. That's a good bullpen. And that's something that you can look forward to. And I don't think the Pirates are going to have their mind on the postseason coming into next year. I think it's going to be just simply developing and trying to, you know, see who can win, help them win ball games later on. Uh, but that's a really good bullpen for nothing, for nothing else. It makes it easier for the starters. And maybe it helps them compete now. Maybe it helps them, you know, develop these young bullpen guys and flip them for good trade assets. I don't know, but it's, it's definitely a strength, not just for the pirates, but a strength compared to the rest of baseball as they move forward. And you brought up Blake Cedarland and it, this kind of ties in with what we saw from what we're seeing with Cabrian Hayes, what we saw earlier on with Nick Mears. I mean, what I've, I've been advocating for like Jared Oliver and, and O'Neill Cruz, like you got to get these kids feet wet. Yeah, because that's going to be the big thing. Charrington was very blunt, you know, going in in his radio show saying how this is going to be a meritocracy, how people are going to earn their playing time. There is starting in spring training. There's going to be like basically nothing that is guaranteed for almost anyone on the roster. If you want these younger kids, have them let them get some of those at bats. Let them know what it's like to see a 98 mile per hour fastball whenever you have to go up against a Miguel Cabrera or, or something like that or, this is, yeah I was it, just thinking the other day they brought in Tyler Bachelor to face I think it was the lineup went Rizzo Baez Schwarber and I was like man that's tough like for anyone like you could bring Kella in there and he'd kind of be like hey man what the hell you know, like this is this is a really good lineup but I was thinking this would be a valuable experience for a young reliever 
because clearly if he screws up and and they're likely to, I mean, those are three stud hitters. So if those guys do take 10 yards, that's a good learning experience for a Cedarland or for even young guys like Howard or Hartley, where if they get out of that situation, you're, that's something they'll remember for the rest of their life. Like that's a confident confidence building foundation that like early on in their career, I set down these three studs for the Cubs and got us a clear, like that builds confidence where Cedarland needs to be having those moments as well. I mean, let's just be blunt with Nick Turley. Do you remember the moment whenever he, you know, kind of quote unquote came on? That it's was, whenever he, it's whenever he faced Christian Yelich. Yeah. With the bases loaded and or he got him out. And Sam Howard, same thing in Wrigley in the extra yeah. inning game. They brought him in and uh, we were just like, I remember I, I golfed that day and I got home. I was listening to the game on the radio the whole time I was golfing. I came home and uh, I sat down and I'm like, they brought Sam Howard in in the 10th inning. Like, I'm not going to get to watch any game now because this is going to end in two seconds. But, like, he actually performed really well. So, it's good to see some guys taking advantage of it. They need to keep giving younger guys opportunities, I think, is the general synopsis here. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to go down a painful part of memory lane. I know. I'm sorry. And we're going to discuss possibly one of the bigger debates in baseball. More on this when we return. Alex, second half of the show, and in honor of the White Sox returning to town and the Reds leaving town, uh, we're going to talk about best performances against the Pittsburgh Pirates. I know, I know. It's, it, why do we torture ourselves? Why do we torture the listeners? I don't know. I mean, Alex and I are in pain watching this team, covering it day to day, so maybe we want to bring you down with hey, us. Hey, I'm just kidding. I'm yeah, just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, but the White Sox returning to town, Giolito, coming to PNC Park after no-hitting the Pirates earlier this year, and then Suarez having a three-home run game against the Pirates. Two performances that, you know, that's something you'll remember from this season. Just not, not in like a negative way, but just impressive stuff that you got to see, either in person or on TV or listen to on the radio or whatever. Those are just notable games. So it had me thinking, who are some of the players that have had the most notable performances against the Pirates in you know maybe our lifetime alex or maybe fans before us this is lifetime um i i mean there are notable pirate killers like albert Pujols has like a career yeah like uh 1200 ops or something against the pirates it's like ridiculous colton long i feel like has like seven walk-off hits and and eight of them are (laughs) against the pirates which makes no sense uh there there are lance berkman's another pirate killer ryan braun uh you know, there, there, there are a whole bunch, um, but I'm more referring to individual games or moments uh, that have occurred against the Pirates that you can recall where you were just like, man, I kind of want the Pirates to win here, but damn, that's impressive. Uh, do you have any off the top of your head? I have four written down. I mean, the first guy I was going to bring up was Albert Pujols, just in, in general. Like, yes. I know that that was some bad, bad Pirates pitching in the early 2000s, but my goodness. There was, there was never a time where Albert Pujols came to the plate like, yeah, they can get him out. They can get out of this inning. Never. And even though he's really tapered off, you know, in the last couple of years, diluting the career stats, there was a time whenever Ryan Braun was just as deadly against the Pirates. I know people want to say like Billy Hamilton, but no, it was, it was Pujols and Braun. Those were public enemy number one in their era. Um, yeah, I, I think um... – 
I'm trying to find Pujols' career splits against the Pirates here. But, yeah, Billy Hamilton was a, uh, a, a Pirate killer. Um, I'm trying to say, you know what? People forget about him because of the playoff game, but Johnny Cueto dominated the Pirates pretty much every yeah. regular season start. And Ooh. then that's why I think it was such a big deal when he did, you know, piss down his leg basically in that playoff game um, because the, he kind of owned the Pirates uh, before that. Uh, no kind of about it, yeah. Yeah. So here, let me let me find the career splits before we get into show opponent. All right. And whenever so, you do that, I'm, I'm, or, or do you have it? I have it. In 180 okay. games, Albert Pujols has 50 home runs, 153 Jeez. runs batted in, a 359 career batting average, a career 1113 OPS. Jeez. A BABIP of 339 and an OPS plus of 140. That is that is, OP, no, that's, that's T OPS plus. T OPS plus, right? plus, yes, yes, my bad, my bad. Um, is that the highest T OPS plus? Because uh, that goes based on team compared to like his regular. Yeah, he, no, compared to any other team, yeah. he has a 147 against the Nationals, but that's so in 71 played. games. Yeah, yeah, so more than double the amount of sample size. <laughs> to the Pirates, and it's only seven points lower. Um, I want to look at his one. walks as well. Uh, against the Pirates, he walked 97 times and struck out 69 nice times. Um, just, I mean, this is just insanity. I mean, this is an, yeah. this is an MVP season <laughs> against one team throughout his career. I mean, it's like a – it might be a triple crown season, you know. Yeah. Just impressive stuff. But individual games. Um, I have four and I did research for, uh, I mean, I, I researched uh, three were off the top of my head and the fourth, I just wanted to confirm something. Um, but the first one, no one probably remembers this unless if you're like a pirate historian, Chuck Klein from the Philadelphia Phillies, he is the only player to hit four home runs in a game against the pirates. So we got to mention him on here. It came on July 10th, 1936. He was four for five with four home runs, six runs batted in, and a nine to six win in extra innings. So he had a three-run bomb in like the top of the tenth, I think, and that that brought the Phillies to victory against the 1936 Pirates team, which probably wasn't very good. I don't think they were very good in the late 30s. Um, but yeah, now that we got that out of the way, there are three things that there are three performances I'm going to bring up, and they're going to be painful. So just buckle up. Well, one, this one's going to first be a laugh. Uh, Max Scherzer. In, in D.C., 2015. By God, that's Jose Tabata's music. Yes, Jose Tabata, known for two things, having a neck lips tattoo and for ruining what was arguably one of the best pitching performances I'd ever seen in my entire life. What a day that was. Were you, were you covering that game? Were you watching that game? I actually wasn't even watching that game. I oh, really? Was, I was helping my aunt and uncle you know, return a rental car. That's what I was doing as wow. Max Scherzer. So I was, I watched like the first eight innings. And then I remember I either had to go to work or something. I was still in college at the time. So I was either working for my dad or I was going somewhere to meet someone. Um, and I got my car and I listened to the ninth inning on the radio and just Brownie explaining what happened with Tabitha leaning into one was like, 
I was like hysterically laughing because like he painted the perfect picture. He's like, Tavita could have got out of the way of that one, but he just did not. <laughs> Pirates have a runner on first. Scherzer are not happy. Like he was just like painting the beautiful scene of what happened. I'm like, I cannot wait to hear the hot takes on sports talk radio, to hear the columns, to hear the unwritten rules, like the Pirates. And they, 2015, they won 98 games. So A, anyone no hitting them is impressive. That lineup was loaded. And B, like, like this is going to be the subject, you know, very rarely, especially I think I was in May. Yeah. In May when, or June or whatever, when the NBA and NHL playoffs are going on, you know, baseball is not the main subject of discussion on shows like First Take or Around the Horn or something. But like that was everywhere. Everyone was talking about Jose Tabata. And for a moment, I thought I wasn't happy. Um, Another moment, this is one of my first memories as a Pirates fan, Sammy Sosa hitting a ball to freaking Mount Lebanon. Uh, do you remember that one? 484 feet for this home run in PNC Park history, hit it over the batter's eye? No, I don't remember. remember okay. That, that was, that yeah, was the was, first at PNC Park history? That was history? the longest. Longest. Oh, longest. Okay. Sean Casey was the first. I'm saying, yeah, the longest home run at PNC Park history is 484 feet. I think Daryl Ward is second. With uh, he was the first river shot for seventy nine. Um, that's I got. I went down a YouTube wormhole last night and watched every uh, home run that went into the river. There's like a compilation of it, and it's not just like from the fly. Like I'm talking ones from you know bounces or whatever. It's fun. I mean, half of them aren't pirates, but it's still fun. It's fun to just see like these old pitchers like on the mound. We're like, oh my god, that's that's Matt Zagurski or whatever his name was or whatever. Um, and then the third notable uh, great performance against the Pirates. I wanted to try to think of one postseason performance. And you could go with Mad Bum. You could go – but Mad Bum did that to everyone, that playoff, that, that postseason. Um, you could go with Schwarber hitting that bomb uh, in 2015. You could go with Wainwright. Uh, but the guy that I think had the most dominating performance in that three-year stretch against the Pirates in the playoffs was Michael Waka. Because that was a game going into it. Game four, I, I, I remember watching that thinking, oh, dude, they're going against a rookie. They got this. Like, this, this is over. And a rookie on the road, elimination game, the Pirates' bats, they were, they were on all, hitting on all cylinders uh, in that series coming off of a nice win in game three. And Waka shut them down. He allowed a solo home run to Pedro Alvarez in seven and a third. And that, that was literally it. He... I don't have how many pitches he threw, but he struck out nine, walked two. Um, just that was gut-wrenching. He stole the heart right out of him because you knew after they lost that one, they were going back to St. Louis to face Wainwright. And it was, you know, it just, it was over. I was in my college newspaper room whenever that happened because it was a day game and we were setting up the next day's paper. Yep. And it, it was – uh, the staff was uh, just three guys mm -hmm. on it, and we were all watching the game and seeing that last out. We were all like, "Oh my God, they just lost the series." McCutcheon and two, he was the one who yeah. ended that game. Yeah, and it's and one other person was like, "Well, they have a game five, don't they?" It's like, yeah, technically, that's yeah. that's over. They're that's going that's to, really yeah. over. I I was watching. I was a it was my freshman year of college, and um. Yeah, I was in my dorm, and I remember, uh, like, I told, like, all of my friends love 
to mess with me. You know, just like being a Pittsburgh fan going to college in Ohio, like it was just free reign just, you know, to mess with me during the playoffs to the point where like the one year when we played the Cubs in the uh, wild card game, they all came into my room uh, with, with jackets on and they unzipped their jackets and they all bought Cubs jerseys. They went out of their way to spend $80 to piss me off. That's the kind of friends I have. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, this one, like I had the door locked. I'm like, I need to be alone for this. No one come near me. Like this is big. And then uh, when McCutcheon came up, this, I lived on a floor with a lot of football players. They all got back from practice and they all just flooded into my room. Uh, and they're like, this is it. This is it. And I'm like, don't get my hopes up. This is a rare opportunity. Like he's not going to tie it with one swing of the bat. And Kutch like had that ninth inning approach where he would just swing, just try to hit it, you know, a million miles an hour. And he didn't come close. And that was like, yeah, series over. Um, do you have any other, the dominant performances against the Pirates that you remember? Uh, not that I quote unquote remember, but I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up Babe Ruth homering three times in his last Sunday game. Yeah. And just saying deuces. Which, you know, considering Babe Ruth weighed 715 pounds at the time and couldn't run anymore, that's a pretty impressive performance. Yeah. Yeah, that's – I remember one time at a family reunion, we uh, always play, like – we always hit some batting practice. We have a lot of baseball players in my family. Um, And so, like, we were hitting some BP – and I had a couple, I had a couple of adult beverages. So I was hitting some, I was hitting some bombs and I'd round the bases after every one of them. And my uncle compared me to John Goodman in the movie, Babe, when I was rounding the bases. <laughs> and I was like, well, time to get on the treadmill. <laughs> I lost like 10 pounds after that. Uh, so that was a tough moment in my life. I just had to share with everybody, but yeah, Babe Ruth, that's, that's a good one to bring up. Um, as we close the show, I want to ponder this question toward you, Alex and our listeners, and you can weigh in in the comment section or get, ask, get after us on Twitter. Um, does the clutch gene exist? When Kevin Newman stepped to the plate uh, on Sunday's game with the game-winning run 90 feet away, he didn't drive it in this time, but he has five walk-off hits, and since he's been in the major leagues, no other major league player I think has more than three. So I want to ask you, do you, there are numbers for pitchers that quantify like high-leverage clutch situations but for for batters it's kind of circumstantial you know it, it do you actually get a chance to come up to the plate with runners on and two outs in the bottom of the ninth in a tie game or when you're down by one it's all kind of circumstantial but do you think the clutch gene exists in MLB players Alex no I, I don't because I think for most hitters most like hits or just in general, like most hard hit balls, home runs especially are, are pitched more than they are hit. Mm. Like it's a mis-executed pitch. And a lot of people that we say, wow, this guy really comes up in the clutch, tend to be really good hitters. You don't hear a lot of John Ryan Murphy's, you know, <laughs> get five walk-off hits in general. You could give him as many, as, as many opportunities as Kevin Newman there. I don't think John Ryan Murphy is going to get five. I don't think JT. What about David Freeze? He's not like a Hall of Famer, but he's known for his He was a good hitter throughout his career. True. He was at the very least average. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Like, when you think of, like, the most clutch guys in baseball, you think of, like, who? Like, David Ortiz, right? Uh, That's probably the most clutch guy I could think of, like, when you're saying the term clutch. Jeter, also a guy who – David Ortiz also has one of the highest OPSs in baseball history. Exactly. Which supports my point. Yes. And we can say, like, David Freeze. Yeah, that's a guy who is overall just – an above average hitter but we're talking about two swings of the bat there and that's why you know he's you know yeah. regarded so highly 
-hmm. Like that's that's way too small of a sample. Well, size. I feel like he he had some clutch hits in the ninth inning during the Pirates' career as well. Like he had some walk off hits then. I I think he's just always been someone who has an eye for the moment, and some guys don't. And you yeah, you could say like the Jeters or the or the Ortizes or whoever else, Reg Jacksons or whatever. Um, but I think that there are you know even your average ball players who can keep a slow heartbeat in those moments and come through. And I, I, I do think that the clutch gene does exist a little bit. I, I think that's just more just good hitters being good whenever they need to be good. Isn't that what clutch is? That's called being a good hitter. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, I guess. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll leave that up. We'll we could leave... get ugly on this. Yeah, I know. It's yeah. There's a lot of tension in the room. <laughs> All right. So be sure to follow us on our social media platforms for DK Pittsburgh sports. Hit that subscribe all button to DK sports radio. If you haven't already uh, and keep, keep on listening, keep on trucking along, keep on reading the articles. And we, we thank you for your continued support for Alex Stump. I'm Noah Hiles signing off saying we will talk to you tomorrow.